I like the fact that it's focusing on sound because I think we live in a very visual world. We are exposed to so many advertisements. There's like this whole emphasis on how you look. And so I think it's nice to actually acknowledge like the oral aspect of ourselves and our connection with stories through sound. And, and I actually much prefer listening to something than watching something because for me, there's more imagination involved basically. Right, yeah. And so I like that side of it. I th and I think also with the aim of the podcast helping to build understanding between different people, it helps if you can't see them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I think um, it's, it's easier to judge if you can see something for some reason. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Kathleen. Hello Kathleen. Hello. And uh, it's interesting, we've, we've just been having a, a, a long conversation, so this is almost like, it feels like it's almost going to be a continuation, at least for us, from that conversation. It feels like yin and yang a bit, I think. Yeah. So I've just interviewed you for my podcast, which I will be launching in the next few weeks, called Citizens Discs. And um, we had a bit of a marathon there. Six tracks, a lifetime. Right. Not and a lifetime, part of a lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, anybody wants to ask me questions about myself, they'll find that I can go on for ages. It's funny, the, uh, the first time, because I've done a couple of episodes of Getting Better Acquainted where other people have been the host and I've been the subject. And... The first one who I did that with was my friend Alex and he didn't look at the time like he was supposed to look at the time but I gave him complete control so he didn't look at, at the time and it was similar like it was two and a half hours of like if I hadn't have said in the end Alex when are we going to wrap up you know we would have gone on forever because he, he, the idea of like timing the conversation was not something he was interested in which is funny because he thinks I should edit the podcast to a much shorter length. <laughs> That's a dichotomy there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I quite like the fact that right now I don't have a watch on and that I haven't checked what time it is. Yeah. And I, I quite like this this timelessness right now. I think it's nice to feel have a bit of a break of a, the rush of everyday life. Right. It's kind of a special day in that respect, yeah, because yeah. we've like booked it into these conversations. It means we're having these kind of, yeah, deep conversations about uh, things that you don't necessarily get to talk about most days. Uh, we're, and not certainly with someone you don't know very well. Because the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Not very well. <laughs> <laughs> so I first came across you, I think about a year ago, just uh, over a year maybe. Um, you were doing a live recording of GBA yep. at the Whopping Project um, as part of an installation within the dark. And I was recommended to pop along to the installation which was in the it was a sound installation in a greenhouse yeah really special environment um by a friend who knew that i was into podcasts i was just getting into podcasts at this point um so i just went along by myself one night and you were there and i i i just really loved the experience so I, I really felt wow this is it really spoke to me because I feel like you're doing something quite radical in that you were promoting the everyday, the everyday conversations we have and, and 
and recognizing the importance of everyone's story and opinion and ideas and so it just really resonated with me so um I, I find it quite an inspiring experience actually and I've since then I have been to many in the dark events uh and I've started my own podcast and that's why I got in touch with you because I thought ah I feel like I should like kind of close this loop and and yeah. get back in touch with you no, since you did have great. an impact on on me that year ago that we met no it's great and I love it when people reach out to me um and I've like a few people who make podcasts have done that and it's really good to meet up with someone who's doing a sort of similar thing to me and uh like your show which we've just recorded you know it's 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 very much like in some ways it's a bit like desert island discs and i really like desert island discs um and everybody wants that opportunity to to to, to do that um so it's, it's really cool the way that this has worked out you know because you I, I always feel a little bit sorry though for people who do reach out for me because they're always like uh hi yeah i do this thing and i'm always like cool let's record getting better acquainted i i I guess i sometimes worry that uh people who reach out to me like they 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 better be prepared for suddenly being like launched into like doing stuff because that's kind of how i engage with people oh it was great i was very happy to receive such a like active and positive response to be honest with you so i was expecting i think um maybe like a cup of tea and having a chat about podcasts but what it came to was us both recording podcasts yeah. and over yeah a whole afternoon so it's been a, a great a great experience yeah no it's interesting we're at my house which is people rarely take me up on that offer I always have to go to them or go to a sort of me midway point to do conversations so it's really cool to be uh to be to be doing it in my house which is an interesting thing because I guess it helps you get better acquainted with me generally but to be in my mm. household um I love visiting people's houses it's a big thing for me actually yeah. <laughs> um, and I am a bit of a nomad at the moment uh, I don't really have a home as such and I haven't for, well for about four months now um, and I've been a bit of a nomad for actually about a year because I used to live in a boat um, in London for eight months so I moved around every two to three oh, weeks cool, on the yeah. boat and so basically I realized the other day I was like I've been on the move for about a year like I've been moving every two or three weeks for a year now Wow. And I just I feel like it just suits me, and I at the moment I'm kind of staying with friends, and I'm so I'm living in lots of different houses, and yeah, I just I just like it. Wow, that's <laughs> a really interesting like uh, relationship to the idea of like home and stuff. Like, I kind of under I I, I always feel like maybe I would could be naturally like that. I've never been in a situation where I've been able to be naturally like that. Like my my partner really enjoys a home the idea of a home and a lot of the decisions we've made have been around the idea of having a space that is ours not much more than that but just having a place that that the world's quite a hard place it's nice to have something familiar and safe and that you can get into even I can understand that even though I don't I don't understand the domesticity very well I I can Mm. I can understand wanting to have somewhere safe a safe place I mean Mm. don't you find that that you have like how's it how's it how is it not having that um i for some reason i almost find it easier to relax in unfamiliar places maybe so actually the idea of having like a kind of fixed place at the moment makes me feel a bit tense and i just it's <laughs> i i really at this point in time i just don't envision myself in a fixed place for quite some time i really just 
So at the moment, I'm I'm enjoying it. There are difficult things, um, but I've been lucky in that I have had a lot of my own space within these places that I'm moving around. So 90% of the time, I've had my own room. It's amazing how many free rooms are in London. You realise that people go away for a week here or three days there, and um, wow. I've managed to like. Yeah, basically create a network of <laughs> places that I can just pop into, and um, so you can't have very much stuff. Then. That's something that I'm I'm keen to improve on as well. So I've got currently, I think I own about three bags worth of possessions, but I only really carry one bag around with me. So I've got two bags stored somewhere else. Um, but I really, really would just like to have one bag. Um, <laughs> I don't like having lots of stuff. I'd yeah. Stuff stresses me out a bit, yeah. and so I like that aspect of it. I like the fact that I have to be practical and I have to have little stuff. It just, I think, I feel like it just makes life easier, really. <laughs> wow, well, that's a that's a really uh, great way of being if you can do it. I think that's. I mean, I, I sort of quite envious of that that approach in a way, and I kind of know what you mean. Sometimes I feel like like I'm most myself when I'm traveling in a weird mm. way, like uh, that. That's when I'm when I'm completely divorced from any place. Uh, I can I sometimes feel most relaxed then. Weirdly, it's quite interesting to kind of like experience life traveling within a defined like within a city, which yeah. is basically what I've been doing for the last year. So it's like it's that interesting blend of like um, being a stranger but being at home at the same time. It's yeah, yeah it's interesting. I I recommend it. <laughs> I think it's um, it's yeah. I've I've really enjoyed it, and it's educational. Yeah, I mean, the second question that I ask people is, "What do you do now?" Which kind of leads in a little bit from this, because the the question I guess most people are going to think is like, "How do? You, what does she do to 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 fund her existence? Even if she doesn't have to pay rent, she still has to exist." So I had a regular job until August. And I'd managed to save up money with that. I was basically coordinating a food cooperative in South London. And um, I really enjoyed that, but the funding came to an end. Um, as is often the case with a lot of community projects, you know, just because of how, fun, how funding works. Yes. And since then, I've been rather resourceful in terms of working out what I need and how, where I can get it from. So I haven't really been paying any rent since then. I did like, I've done about two months worth of like different cat sitting and house sitting jobs. Then I did, went to Italy for a month and I like couch surfed there. And then the last month and a half I've been in London and I've been staying with friends. But in terms of like my outgoings, I I, I do have some obviously on food and um, transport. And mm. at the moment I'm using some of my savings, but I also, I am doing some supply teaching assistant work in primary schools at the moment. I chose to do that for two reasons. One. I would like to, I wanted to get a better understanding of what mainstream primary schools were like because I didn't go to one. So I went to a Steiner school. Oh, right, okay. For anyone who doesn't know, Steiner set up an alternative form of schooling about 120, 30 years ago and it's now become the biggest alternative form of education in the world. There's about 2,000 across the world. And I went to, there's only one in Northern Ireland, but I went to it. From the age of three until I was sixteen. And what's the culture like in a Steiner school? Like, what is the difference between the two places? Um, people wear very colourful clothes often, <laughs> so there's no school uniform. 
Nice, I like that. There's a um, much shorter days actually initially. So um, until I was about 10 or 11, I ended school at half 12. So from half t- half nine in the morning to half 12, it was only three hours pretty much. So I had, I think, a lot more playtime. Um, and within the school, I had a lot more playtime. The school grounds are very different. So we it was in many ways quite idyllic. We had woods to play in. We were encouraged to play outside a lot. My sisters and I, my brother, sometimes would go into school early to climb the trees. Um, there was, a, in terms of the actual content of the lessons, um, every day begins with a thing called main lesson. So the whole way throughout school, you spend the first two hours of every day doing this thing called main lesson, and the content of it changes every three weeks. So it, it very much becomes a journey. You know, you might be studying like, ancient Greeks for three weeks, and then you go on to like astronomy and botany and it keeps the year kind of evolving like okay. the timetable is quite different to like um, um, a mainstream skill I guess in that sense and there's a big emphasis on creativity especially relating to arts because you can be creative in any subject matter but um, I did a lot of painting and building things with clay and making stuff out of wood which I really enjoyed I don't think it was so strong on science and sports and music, actually. It was a bit of a drawback, but it had its pros and cons. Stein is sort of like a kind of... People might think of it as like a more hippie sort of like idea, like I guess, in terms of... like That's the kind of cliché that people might throw around the word. Yeah, I think my school was known as the hippie school on the hill. Right. Um, and there are various reasons for that. I think it, standard schools do often attract people who um, visually look like hippies, right. <laughs> you know, tie-dye clothes yeah. and like dreadlocks or it's whatever. It's pretty good aesthetic, I think. <laughs> um, and I think also the language that Steiner wrote in is quite difficult to kind of comprehend and quite spiritual. So I guess anyone who's perhaps, you know, looked into it a bit and read about it then perhaps could make that impression as well. It's interesting because even though I went to a Steiner school, we never actually studied Steiner. Right. And so I feel like I have an experience of it, but not necessarily like a theoretical understanding as such. Yeah, and I, I, from, from the little Steiner that I have read, because I don't, actually don't, I don't find it easy to read, he's written, he's written a prolific amount of books. And there's a Steiner um, centre in London which has, I think, all of its, his books, and it fills right. like rooms, you know. He's you know, an impressive man. Um, and I think that he intended for the schools to really perhaps adapt more to the places that they were in and the times that they were in more so than they have done. I visited several Steiner schools, like one in Devon and a few others in England as well, and I found I found it a bit unnerving because I felt like they were so similar to mine, and I felt like actually. That's quite weird. That's uniformity. Isn't yeah, it really? yeah. Like it made it feel a bit cult-like, yeah, right. and I didn't really like that side of it. And I don't think that's necessarily how it was intended to be. Mm. I haven't been to any in any other countries apart from England, Northern Ireland. So maybe, you know, there are some, you know, in very different cultures to here. So maybe they're a bit different. But I hope I'd like to think that's the case. I don't know though. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like, so what? Like, I guess I'm going to ask this question. This is. You asked me earlier on, it's an interesting thing, and I'll, I'll ask my question in a minute, but you asked me earlier on about, do I prep for, for getting better acquainted, and am I improvisational? And quite often I do prep, 
but sometimes I don't. This particular conversation, I didn't prep because there's not really anything I could prep and I don't know you at all. So I'm feeling out like the shape of this conversation in terms of like how the process is from my point of view of doing a getting very acquainted conversation. I often like have all of these different roads, different roads I want to kind of go down and I'm like waiting for an opportunity to to sort of bring them up um and so at this moment in time the I'm going to ask you a very blunt question that I might have found on a much different road at a different time if I hadn't have asked it now but how old are you <laughs> I was wondering what you're building up to right. there <laughs> no, no, it sounded like it was going to be shocking didn't it oh it seems so simple I'm 27 27 okay mm-hmm. All right, because I mean, you know, so that's interesting. So you're not that much different, like five years difference from me. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very strange to work out someone's age though when you don't know them. Like you could be, like, there's a big difference between twenty-one and twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. Um, very, it's a very complicated decade. I think I didn't enjoy it much. Twenties. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I find um, after leaving university the most difficult time of my life. I yeah. think really. Just completely unprepared for it as well. I thought, you know, I felt like I would be prepared and then was so unprepared. So it was a bit of a shock. Yeah, really shocking. University, I had that experience too, um, of, of it being, yeah, freedom and then shock uh, at the end of it. Yeah, so I guess the reason I was asking it in this context is like, it was, I was definitely going to get there at some point in the conversation. But the reason I sort of was asking it now is because you're from Northern Ireland. You grew up in Northern Ireland. You mm-hmm. know from our our previous conversation earlier today that my stepdad is from Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Where, where, are you, where are you from in Northern Ireland? So I'm from a small town called Hollywood, which is okay. quite confusing to a lot of people because right. most people have never heard of it. Um, and it's about three miles east of Belfast. And so Belfast is where he's from. Um, I've, so I've been to Belfast a few times when I was a kid. But, like, his, under, his, his existence in Northern Ireland, was he grew up, you know, during the heights, the troubles, is when he was, like, teen. So, like, you're, but you're, like, younger than me. So you experienced a very different... I feel like different Northern Ireland from what he experienced I mean even when I was a kid it was a different Northern Ireland or we probably wouldn't have gone there for family holidays Uh, very few English tourists in Northern Ireland even still I think actually Mm. for various reasons yeah um I think Northern Ireland has changed a lot um within my lifetime I do have very distant memories of there being troubles um quite in 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 quite a real sense. Uh, so every July, there's mo- big marches throughout Northern Ireland on the 12th of July, Orange Parade marches. And this was like a, a big feature of every summer holiday that I had. Basically, a lot of families choose to go away during that period because it can become quite an unpleasant place to live in for a few days where basically it does feel like you can't really do much. Or that's what it felt like for us. Like, you know, Lots of the roads were closed down you felt like you just had to stay in your house all the time. Um, and one summer, I remember, I think I must have been about nine at the time, my dad decided to brave the roads and, and try and get about three miles down to the road to the nearest golf club and play some golf. And he took me and my brother and my sister with, with us in the car. And we got we were on a dual carriageway and we got to like a, a basically a big blockade thing. Um, 
which was blocking our way basically so we couldn't go any further and we like stopped the car to get out and there was no one really around and then suddenly like on the other side of the barrier we saw this like group of people like running towards us and before we knew it, it happened all so quickly they were like throwing like bricks and stuff like over the barrier at us Jesus. and like it was just, I remember being absolutely terrified and we like yeah. bundled into the car my dad had reversed that like, there's no because he couldn't turn the car on he had to reverse really really fast backwards and I do remember having this fear of like oh my goodness we're just gonna get a brick through right through the like the window yeah and l- luckily we didn't get hit in the eyes at that point in time you know I did have like a interaction with the troubles and I do remember because right. we grew up very close to Belfast I do remember like hearing bombs and gunfire at some points you know it was a bit of a background noise but that was when I was very young and as a teenager it did feel like it calmed down a lot and I haven't lived there now for since I left for university which was like nearly 10 years ago and every time I go back I do feel like it's different it's become much more like mm, economically it feels wealthier in some ways yeah lots of like redevelopments and the docks, like a, a lot of docks in Britain have had this like rejuvenation, having right, the yeah, cultural centres built. Yeah. Um, and actually, politically speaking, I don't feel like I really thought much about it in Northern Ireland. I didn't really, I wasn't super aware of the, of the problems going on around me. I felt quite insulated from it, I guess, because I went to a standard school, which was, um, you know, and it, there was a mix of people there. Yeah, um, and it wasn't a religious school. Exactly. Yeah, yeah no. I didn't actually study RE, which in, in Northern Ireland, in mainstream schools, you have to, but right. I didn't even study it. Well, so one, one could argue it's quite reasonable that you should in Northern mm, Ireland study yeah. RE. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think actually, in some ways, it wasn't on, very yeah. helpful not having studied it. Um, because I do remember being quite confused by the terminology, terminology in like just street talk and stuff to do with religion when I was younger. Like, I didn't really understand it. Yeah, I, um, yeah. So I think I kind of grew up in a little bit of a bubble with that regard. And then, but then when I came to England, I got asked so many questions about politics. And um, I found that really interesting because I felt that a lot of pe- most people who were asking these questions had never been to Northern Ireland yeah. and had all these preconceptions of what it was like. And you know, they'd ask me, like, oh, what side was I from? And then I'd say, oh, you know, well, my mum was brought up Protestant and my dad was brought up Catholic. And they were like, oh, that must be him. And unusual. And, and like, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. My goodness, doesn't feel like that. But... Um, <laughs> yeah, it just it made me actually really aware of like the impact that the media can have on people's mm. perception of a place and and also the strength of the strength of conviction that people have about if they've read something in black and white print, I feel like uh, people think that they have an authority or they're almost like an expert in something. Or like I came across people that I felt like they felt like they were had a stronger opinion about Northern Irish politics than I did and even though I grew up there it was very strange. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, I guess Northern Irish politics, though, are also English politics. I mean, they mm. are, like, uh, intrinsically linked. Mm. Colonial Colonially politics. Colonially linked, <laughs> yes, right. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense for people in the UK all over the place to have strong mm. feelings. I mean, Scotland's mm. got big uh, ties with the politics in, in in Ireland. I mean, we're all very linked together. Uh which, as we should be, I guess, mm. as we are. I think the one thing that frustrates me is that, basically, Northern Ireland doesn't get much press coverage, apart from in relation to, like... the, the Basically, just, like, troubles, yeah. really. And it's incredibly infuriating, because, like, Northern Ireland is a great place, and I think that it just has such a warped image of itself. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of people that I have 
that I know in Northern Ireland are just fed up. Just fed up with like the media's representation of it. Yeah. And fed up with just politics in general. Like it's right. just and Which especially doesn't make with the them recent problems. From anywhere else in the UK. Yeah. Like we're all very fed up of, of politics. Like the media mm. Everywhere is giving very like in the. In, I used to live in the north. You know, the mm. north get a very stereotypical like mm. representation. I mean, different stereotypes, and the dam mm. is much more damaging the stereotypes of of Ireland. But wow, I mean, mm. yeah, everyday people get very little representation ever mm. anywhere. So I'm sorry, sorry. No, I guess that's why we both probably do podcasts with everyday people. Yeah, <laughs> trying to help redress that balance. Right. Right, and and yeah, I mean that was so. I mean, I, I mean, I, it's interesting to me because, I mean, my stepdad was very scarred by the troubles. It's very, it's kind of, I think it's quite um, hopeful that you're, you know, that generations later that isn't necessarily mm. going to be the experience of people. Mm-hmm. Um, when my, I mean, that's the thing. When my stepdad was scarred by the troubles, the the people who were being scarred by it were never getting representation. Uh, the, you know, you're never hearing the the stories of the effect on everyday people. You only ever had the tabloid, like exciting bombs, like guns and mm. criminals stuff. You know. Um, so you went, you grew up in Northern Ireland, and then you had what? Did you go to university in in Ireland or in the UK? Or no, so there's only two universities in Northern Ireland. <laughs> and um, I didn't even contemplate going to either of them, to be honest with you. I just had this strong sense of just like, I want to get out. I just wanted to, like, there's a whole world out there. Yeah, you were from a so, village, yeah? A small town, but small like near town. enough to Belfast. So then after after I oh, left the standard city, school, yeah. I went to a grammar school for two years to do my A-levels because the standard school stopped at GCSEs. And the grammar school was like directly opposite Queen's University. So it would have felt if I'd continued there that I was just still going to school almost. Right. So um, I applied to... Um, six universities I got into Cambridge and so went to Cambridge cool which was <laughs> amazing like, like yeah do you, do, you, do you feel complicated when you tell people you went to Cambridge I generally try and avoid it I don't really try uh, yeah I basically don't really bring it up unless I have to <laughs> don't worry these days I've got loads of friends who went to Cambridge yeah uh, open doors for you, actually, a, if, you if you find friends with, who went to Cambridge because they get doors open for them and it's nice it's like sorry a, say that again well <clears throat> If you've become friends with people who have gone to Oxford oh, or Cambridge, doors, it opens yeah. doors for you. Uh, and then that becomes a complicated thing of like, you don't approve of doors being opened, but you're quite mm. happy that they're being opened for you. Mm. But I mean, I, I'm not prejudiced against people who went to Oxford and Cambridge, although, I mean, kind of running on from something we were talking about in our conversation for your podcast, mm-hmm. like, uh, it's been a long process to realise mm. that, like, uh, people who have, what I like class consciously would be railing against are complicated and maybe have a lot of the time working class backgrounds who've gone to Oxford and Cambridge you know there's mm. lots of there's lots of exceptions there's lots of differences yeah. and it's very I do feel that a bit I feel block. like I'm often lumped in with a middle class I don't feel part of um because I went to Cambridge and I find that incredibly frustrating actually yeah. um that happens a lot in my friendship circle that people will just talk about then our friendship network as like a middle class network and I'm like I don't identify with that I just and I find it really annoying you put this label on me because <laughs> I feel like I worked really hard to get to Cambridge and and we did have like <sighs> I don't really want to put a working class label on my family either I just I, I, I don't know what it was really class but <laughs> is very very complicated class is very complicated yeah 
and I guess like my um, my family life changed quite a lot when I was like a teenager. So right. my dad had been an arch- architect, which you know was pretty. Um, it was a well qualified job, or whatever. And my mum had been like you know a house parent, um, and then my dad became unemployed. He got sacked, and hasn't had a job since. That right. was um, like fifteen years ago, maybe now. Um, and my mum then started working in Tesco's as a shop floor right. person. So basically, she's been working in Tesco since, and she's not like yeah, um, one of the longest running like Tesco shop workers in her store or whatever. And and then we my parents split up, and I moved in to a council flat with my mum. And so yeah, it is. It's a it's a kind of mishmash of things, really. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people's experience of class is mishmash. I mean, mm. you, you only got from our previous conversation that my experience of class is quite mishmash mm. um, and it's your friendship group it's uh, your parents have to like my mum was a nurse that's quite working class she end, but by the end of her career she was you know a, a manager of social services in Cardiff that's very high mm. so it's like a it's a you know it's yeah people travel journeys they do yeah. they yeah. do and, 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 and that's what this kind of shows about I guess so you're in your in terms of your journey you went to grammar school then did you go straight to Cambridge or did you take a year out I didn't take a, a gap year no I wish I had done it's a bit of a regret of mine but I didn't and I went to study natural sciences at Cambridge um which basically if you study science at Cambridge that's the title that it comes under yeah probably for the best yeah <laughs> sounds more impressive science, yeah doesn't it? <laughs> And I specialised in experimental psychology, which I loved, actually. Really, I felt when I started doing that, I was like, this is it. I find, like, my calling. I was, like, you know, researching questions I'd had since I was younger, like, you know, what do babies think and, like, what are they, what's behind all our weird behaviour? Yeah, fascinating. Uh, Yeah, really, and I had great lectures. And I, I think, but, like, really, despite all of that, what I loved most about Cambridge was really just, you know, the people I met and yeah. and actually the privilege aspect of it I kind of shudder when I look back at it we were so privileged and I just mm-hmm. oh man it's I, I couldn't go back and do it again I'd be so uncomfortable with it now but you know there was a lot of like free and cheap wine and great food and um yeah the thing is the better off like, the, the sort of the better your situation the less you have to pay that's the, yeah, weird, that's the weird I paid, thing isn't yeah, it yeah I it's actually if you don't have very much money. Cambridge is Booze one of the cheapest places right. to go to, and I got funding as well. I got like a bursary because of like economic reasons as well. So I actually, I did. Yeah, I was very lucky in many ways. Yeah, that was just like, before the even at Lancaster Uni, it was like amazing yeah. what you could get. Like I mean, booze there was so cheap. Mm. And it was like campus university. You could do a bar crawl without like you could do a bar crawl within like ten minutes of your house. Go to like ten. <laughs> uh, bars it was great um I'm bad in some ways but that's the thing like it's great to have these experiences yeah For everyone should have the opportunity that's not you know but it's important to have experiences where you get drunk and you do silly things and you don't have to worry for a bit like it's it's not I don't think that like we need to recognize when we have privilege but it doesn't necessarily mean we shouldn't enjoy it mm. yeah I completely <clears throat> agree yeah yeah I think the social mixing element of university is really great and I feel like everyone should have that opportunity, especially. I think, you know, yeah. in terms of like the content of the courses, I think that a lot could be changed. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think that, like, yeah, 
in terms of mixing, you meet people from so many different backgrounds, and that's great. I think Cambridge was, in some ways, good for that. In some ways, maybe not. At the time, it felt very diverse. You know, I was meeting people from all across Britain and uh, some people from across the world. Um, and I guess I was meeting a lot of people who were perhaps more affluent than I yeah. was used to. That's diversity but, in a sense. Yeah, that is exactly. It was definitely like compared to like what what I'd experienced growing up. It was diverse and. And, and Northern Ireland was, like, very white. So, like, you know, even though Cambridge now seems, like, not very diverse when I compare it to London, at the time it did feel like it was actually culturally quite diverse. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. No, no, but, I mean, that, that makes yeah. sense to me. Going yeah. to university, I found very similar. I met people from lots of different kinds of backgrounds, a lot of them more posh than I was used to, but they're mm. still learning new, like, points of view. And moving to London was similar for me. It was, like... Now I'm meeting people who are all different kinds mm. of backgrounds and that's fascinating and mm. uh, very, you know, really great, I think. And um, your bar crawl comment just reminded me of, um, in Freshers Week, we had a bar crawl and we had like a, three, a three-legged bar crawl. So you, you know, you got partnered up with someone. Anyway, there's an odd number of people, so I actually got partnered up with two people. And one was um, an evangelical Christian who didn't drink and like was like doing like Anglo-Saxon studies or something, and then the other one was like an absolute like party goer wow. from like Essex. He was like studying English or something. Anyway, I had like both of these beside me, and that's just a great example of you yeah. know social mixing in in the happening. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I met yeah. people like I'm. I never would have met those people, and and that that they've enriched my life for sure at uni. So, you, so you went to uni. Did you take a year out afterwards? Then is that or did you have a... Yes, I felt just... I, I, I'm a big believer on making decisions based on instinct. Mm. And I just felt like I just needed a break. Um, and so, I'd, for some, somewhere, I'd become interested in well-being and well-being in different cultural contexts. And so, basically, I applied to do this programme called Global Exchange, where you spend three months in Britain volunteering... And then three months in a developing country. country. Um, and as part of that, you are within a team of people. So I was with a, 10 people from Bangladesh and 10 people from Britain. And so I got partnered up with a Bangladeshi and all the Bangladesh people came to Britain. And we lived together in the highlands. We got just allocated places to go to. We, I lived in like literally 10 hours north in the train from Edinburgh, um, just south of the Orkney Islands, like right at the tip. Um, and I lived there for three months. I shared a room with my Bangladeshi partner, Isabel. And I did like volunteer placements with like community centres there. And then went from there to Bangladesh, which was just an absolute culture shock compared to one of the most remote areas of Britain. It's like Bangladesh is the most densely populated country in the world. I can't convey just how many people there are there. <laughs> like it just... London, when I came back to London afterwards, London felt like a ghost town. <laughs> Completely. And I sometimes when I'm sometimes when I'm having it, I hate London Day and oh it's so busy and so crowded and what am I doing here? I'll think I'll be like, wait, wait a second, compare this to Bangladesh. And it's a reality check for me. Mm. Because in Bangladesh it I was staying in the second biggest city there, Chittagong. And to give you a bit of a taste of like just how overcrowded it is. The family that I was staying with, every morning, the, the the husband would get up at four o'clock in the morning and go for a walk for an hour 
because if you tried to walk at any other time of the day, it was too busy to walk, basically. Like, you can't really pick up a pace or, like, turn a direction that's not going against the crowd. Um, and so I, I, I love exercise and I like walking, so I'd often do this with him. I'd get up at four and um, what we'd do is we'd go to, like, this street near his house and just walk up and down the same street. And, and maybe, like, within an hour, you'd get, like, 20, 30, 40, 50 other men doing it. It was, like, a bit of a tradition. And then you go back to bed and fall asleep and get up again. Like it was this, basically this midnight walk thing that people chose to do if they wanted some exercise because it was difficult to do it throughout the daytime. And then in the daytime, I, I used to walk to work, which was quite radical in itself because not many women are in the streets walking. If they are in the streets, they're usually in a rickshaw. It was just, it was just so difficult to walk. There's no pavements. There was, you know, like this, there was just the streets were sewers and and noise everywhere. It was just so crowded and. Also just so male dominated as well. Um, I used to play this game with myself where I'd, I'd count the number of men that I passed before I passed a woman and see how many I could get up to. Wow. And I'd easily get up to like 80, 90 men. It was just, it was just a complete culture shock for me. I was just so naive going into it and learned so much from being there. And, and, and really transformed me in a way that I think university didn't. Um, like university was fun and interesting and in some ways quite hedonistic and, and also it you know it was hard work but it I don't feel like it really made me think about the world and our and the interconnectedness between things in the way that um living and working in Scotland and then Bangladesh did. It just made me question how our economy structured, how people relate to each other in the workplace, like gender issues, just it just brought up so much stuff that was like just felt like had such an impact on people's lives. Mm. I came back from Bangladesh feeling like, whoa, <laughs> basically. It sounds like a kind of political awakening then. Yeah, so I think when I was in Bangladesh, I was volunteering with a charity which one of their projects was to support primary school aged children in slums to get an education. They, they funded primary schools in slums, but um, they didn't fund anything after primary school age. I was interested in what happened to all these kids after they'd, you know, gone through this primary school system. So I did some work interviewing girls there um, who just left school. Um, and I think that kind of like that, those interviews really politically engaged me in a way right. that I don't think any other experience had done before. Right. And basically 50% of the girls that I interviewed um, went on to have arranged marriages and have children by the age of like 13 or 14. And the other 50% went into like clothes factories and worked like 12 hour days, seven days a week. And it was just like, just really harrowing, I think. Those interviews and my experience of like living with a family um, kind of tapped into a bit of a feminist in me, which is something that had not really been awakened before, I don't think. Right. Observing the work in the factories and I uh, managed to break into a ship breaking yard, which basically, um, Bangladesh takes apart like 50% of the world's ships and it's a bit of a, it's not really very well known about, it's like, it's very all very hush-hush, they don't let journalists in to like observe what's going on and we basically, my, a couple of my friends and I like walked for like miles through sludge to get to this place and we just, what we observed there, what, it felt like a scene out of um, a, one of those Osborne picture books you see of like how people build the pyramids or something. Sure, yeah, I know this. Um, so we'd like we'd travel for miles through a sludge, and then 
on the horizon when we finally got where we were going to, we saw like a line of like maybe like a hundred men with like a big rope, just like passing the rope between themselves and like hauling this ship, this piece of broken ship out of the water. And basically, Bangladesh, they were taking it all apart by hand. So if you have a ship here that's like out of use and you take it apart in Britain, it's all done by machinery. But in Bangladesh, it's all done by hand. And so you just have... Just really, it's really like dangerous work. Like, like every week someone dies or like gets disabled or, you know, just like really horrific. I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe this was happening right before my eyes. Right. And so I, it made me just really question, like, oh my goodness, like all these like hidden processes going on in the economy that I hadn't been exposed to. You know, I've taken boats. You know, I live in Northern Ireland. I often get the boat over. I was like, oh my goodness, where's that boat going to end up? You know, I just right. began to like just think about the inner workings of our economy basically so yeah it was six six months doing that it taught me more than three years at Cambridge I think <laughs> yeah no I get it and I, I think I can understand I can understand why you had those reactions I think they're very reasonable ones so some of these roads that I've chosen to go down in terms of talking to you have been ones from like before we started I asked you sort of what areas of your life uh, you might like to talk about and you know we, you, you mentioned education and you mentioned your gap here the other thing that you mentioned was being arrested mm. yeah so I didn't intend to get arrested no one, in, well, no <laughs> one intends hardly anyone intends to be arrested um, I actually think that you were around on this day because I think um, when I was asking you questions for my podcast earlier it, you did mention this so um, I've I basically became part of some activist networks in London in the last few years and um, on, let me think of the best way to describe this. So I got involved with UK Uncut, um, which is... I've been on some much. Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. So I got arrested. Um, I was one of the 145 people arrested in Portland Masons. Portland Masons, yeah. I could have been with so you. I was like, the f- were you in Portland Masons? I, we were... Me, my my well, then I guess eighty eight year old dad and my girlfriend were part of the UK uncut group. We were going, you know, when you would have been in the same group of people. We were going down the roads and we kept getting like different messages: go this way, go that way. It was to try and outsmart the police, right, so that the people could get you. In fact, could get to Fortnum and Masons, but we got wrong footed. Ended up marching with the black block for ages getting a little bit worried about the fact that suddenly everybody around us has got their faces covered but we haven't and it's a bit like not our vibe mm. so at that point we went to the pub oh. right? but 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 if we hadn't got turned off we would have gone with you the main mm. body of people who mm-hmm. went to Fortnum and Masons mm-hmm. I mean a, a close friend of mine was legal observing outside you guys mm. like who's been on the podcast before. And then another friend of mine nearly went in as well. There's loads of people that day were around. There were, yes, yes, there was, for, I think there was 145 of us got arrested, but there were hundreds oh, more wow. outside. Well, the March, hundreds, hundreds more, yeah. the first, did you go on the TUC March first? I went on a short part of it, yeah. I, went, I started off in the National Theatre, and then I think um, there was a UK Uncut block, which kind of left. Right, there was a few of the them. March. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, we, 
there was the big TUC march, which everybody could go on. It was not just TUC members. It was very much mixed of all different kinds. And then UK Uncut arranged a series of actions to happen on the same day. Some of them, like there was a comedy show on uh, the... On um, Oxford Street, I think. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. in, in, in Soho Square. Oh, uh, um, yeah. We went to, that's where we went for dinner. Uh, like we, went, we had a packed lunch watching the comedians on Soho Square. And then we went from there to join the big group masses of people mm-hmm. on Oxford Street which was packed yeah mm-hmm. do you remember people were climbing up the mm-hmm. it was it, there was a real sense people of took back the streets momentum. yeah right they, they wrote whose streets are streets on the on the mm-hmm. streets and they climbed up the mm-hmm. like they climbed up the what you what you call them the lights the, tra- the, mm-hmm. the traffic lights and no one could mm-hmm. no one could stop them mm-hmm. no one could stop mm-hmm. anyone we had kind of owned the streets for a bit mm-hmm. it was exciting oh yeah the atmosphere was like really electric Charged, yeah. charged. I had bubbles because yeah. that was one of the things. Like, UK and Cut's quite creative about the way it uh-huh. was, right? So I brought bubbles with me to, like, uh. you know, I like the idea of bubbles against tyranny. <laughs> I think it's really great to bring humour to protest because yeah. um, otherwise, you know, hu- protest can can be long and can be boring otherwise. But if you, like, make it into a bit of a carnival, then it, um, people are much more likely to stay and really, like, you know, make... And then you're more likely to have a point your voice has heard right. the longer you stay. And basically. it makes it non-threatening as well. If you yeah. want to have protest which is designed to not be violent, then you need yeah. to like make it non-threatening. I mean, my dad loved it. You know, he's a very, mm. you know, an elderly man in this situation. He should have felt maybe unsafe because there was a lot of people there, but it didn't feel unsafe. Mm. Yes, yeah. No, I don't think it would have been part of it if it had felt differently. But then it did feel unsafe when you went near the police, when you went near the lines of police. We certainly experienced that, and that's why we got turned off mm. because we we ended up getting yeah. turned away by the police yeah my attitude to the police has changed significantly i've got to say in the last few years because actually growing up in northern ireland i always felt like the police were um there to protect us you know as normal citizens yeah i just i i and there, there was quite a strong police presence in northern ireland but i i had very good interactions with them and they used to patrol the streets and they, they used to chat to kids playing out in a bar and i remember like I remember um, a policeman giving me his um, bulletproof vest to try on, and like it was all very fun, and like it's, you know, it, it felt like we could talk to them, and just people doing a good job. Right. Um, and then I came and started getting involved in activist stuff in London, and I was shocked. It just felt really like they were just part of the establishment, really inhumane. You couldn't really like connect with them. Like I've tried to have conversations with policemen and women, and struggled because yeah. I feel like they maybe you know maybe they, they should be told marching, they can't right? talk they should be marching but, with us right because what are we protesting oh, the cuts against that's government thing. services so the, the whole irony was that I was arrested by um, a police woman who was actually doing voluntary work so she's like a volunteer police so, uh, Special was constable, it, was she? She'd been drafted in, because they drafted... Yeah, they day, get loads they of the army. In, yeah, they drafted right. in people from, like, you know, beyond London. And so she'd been drafted in, and she was doing volunteer, like, police training work, I think, basically, um, to get into the police. Um, and her job had been cut from another... Like, a public service job had been cut, like, six months previous. And I was just like, this is just pure irony here, there what's wasn't, going like, on. Th- th- there wasn't very many of you in for some... I mean, there was enough, there was enough, but, it like... Was, that's the problem there was not enough of you to like make you have enough power like out on the streets in Oxford Street they couldn't have arrested all of those people it was horrendous I felt so angry that I was arrested and everyone else was arrested 
it just it felt like we'd done nothing wrong. We hadn't done anything wrong. We didn't do anything wrong. We didn't. No, I we, I still feel that strongly. Well, day. the reports are that you guys tidied up when you like knocked things over. Yeah, I remember it vividly. There were some chocolates knocked over, and yeah. they were tidied up more neatly than they'd ever been put out in the first place. And basically, we just went in there to make a point about tax avoidance and evasion, yeah. and 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 basically, it was it was we were told from within that by the police that they didn't want to let us out because there was violence going on in the streets and that we were doing a peaceful protest and that was all very well and good. Um, and when they eventually said that they let us out, they said to us, you know, you're not going to get arrested, nothing's going to happen. You just walk out and you can go to the tube. Yeah. We got out of Fortnum Missions and we were confronted with hundreds of police police officers in riot gear. Right. And, you know, so it just felt like we'd been absolutely tricked. And, and, then, and then spent the next 24 hours in police in a police cell yeah, no, <laughs> and that was a really educational experience as well that also taught me a lot massive amounts um well that's the interesting thing is you're talking about growing up in northern ireland and feeling safe from those police but when i did this a, a, you know this kind of a conversation with my stepdad his stories were not very pleasing about the police and they were they were mm. about what it's like to be put in cells by police mm. and held and not know how long you've got mm. and not know and you know I mean, you can say more on this than me. Yeah, I, I was shocked at the treatment um, by the police. It, it felt like they were relating to us like we were animals, almost, mm. or like a, very much like a second class of citizen. Like they talk about you in the third person, and when we look at you, you'll get like angry, like say like rude things, and like and then just the actual conditions of being in the cell, right. like. Oh man, it was horrible. So it was Some just like people are bare... going in those places regularly as well. That's the thing. It's yes, like, you know, and and people sometimes people choose to go in there because that's like that's shelter for right. them. You know, it's, it's almost a good homeless, option. Right. Yeah, but like my cell was just a very spare, very small room, but it had a video camera in it, so that's a bit weird. You know, you're getting watched constantly. Yep. There was a toilet there, and there right. was this bed with like this blanket on it, and then nothing. There was a there was nothing else. But I knew that I could ask for a book of my rights, so I asked for that to read whilst I was there. And then basically just to entertain myself the next 20, 20 hours that I was there. And the food was absolutely dire, oh my goodness. I thought I'd, I pretended to be vegan just to like test the, the, the culinary skills of the, but it was all like horrible ready meal stuff. And I, I just felt like hard, I, when I was, when I was, I had a lot of time to think when I was in the cell. And I just, kept on thinking how on earth am I here like I've gone out of my way to like try and make a stand about something that's immoral you know yeah but this gross like inequality that exists in society and, and I've been locked up in a cell because of this like what is going on yeah. and it just made me really question a lot of laws that I'd previously taken for granted or a lot of respect that I had for authority I was suddenly was just like wow and to be honest with you, in a funny way, getting arrested was an incredibly liberating thing for me because it made me think, actually, you know, there's, there's what's legal and then there's what's right and what's wrong. They don't necessarily match up. And so I feel like now I've almost taken the law into my own hands. Like I just, I'm not put off now if something's illegal. I'm like, actually, it doesn't necessarily mean that yeah. it's wrong. Well, we right. make laws collectively. Exactly. We can yeah. change laws collectively. Yeah. Yeah. What, what you can cut are asking is for companies to pay their taxes fairly. You know, that's not a radical 
thing to say when I've been on actions and I've not been on very many and I've not been on very many since that day I was so upset about the way that the representation in the media was of that day there were so many people there it was such a big deal so many people came together from so many different points of view the UK uncut actions were peaceful as well there is absolutely no reason to Mm -hmm. judge them uh, in any way for this um, for their actions they were peaceful actions even the actions of a very small minority that got plastered across everything the actions of the black bloc that day were not particularly bad they were damaging banks not people they were like not doing it like you can say destruction of property is problematic I wouldn't necessarily advocate it it's not great from a PR point of view but it is not the same as mm. the police violence that happens consistently at, mm. at protests. Not so much that day, because the police had to be on their best behaviour. Mm. That's how big the protest was. When there's smaller protests, the police mm. don't go on their best behaviour. And I I've d- I've definitely feel like uh, in the last few years, it has been uh, clamped down mm. in terms of how protesters are treated. Big time. Um, and it's quite scary, actually. Um, and lots of people being rad- like they, 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 it's, it's counterproductive from their point of view. You're, yeah. you're, you're being what they might call radicalised, right, mm. by this. So mm. many people I know have been. They've gone mm. out on reasonable protests, mm. been treated terribly by the police, and suddenly, mm. like you're saying, everything that they had, had, had thought, mm. they start to question, mm. and reasonably so. Mm. Because if you can't trust the people who are supposed to be protecting you, then then who, who can you trust? And then mm. you have to start asking questions. I mean, like I've... I've I've talked to one of the, you know, have you heard of the Starbucks zombies? They were pre-crime arrest. The royal wedding happened. Some people were going to do a zombie thing, right? Mm-hmm. So they just, um, they just arrested them because they, they were dressed as zombies. But she wasn't, she wasn't even protesting. She was just in a Starbucks getting coffee dressed as a zombie. She was mm. dress, so that's what she was arrested mm. for, being in a Starbucks dressed as a zombie mm. getting coffee. I think in relation to the riot as well, people were arrested for just making comments on like social media, right. weren't they? Without actually having right. lifted a finger beyond typing something. Like exactly. Just, yeah. And how many yeah. of the actual people who actually committed crimes on the days of the riots, how many of them were arrested yeah. compared to the people who And it's the who same thing with uh, Fortnum Mason's case. Like Nobody, as far as I'm aware, was arrested. They were actually outside damaging things. Right. It was just an easy target. They decided, like, oh, we've got 150 people in the building. Yeah. It'd be easy to arrest them and make it look like they're the people that are responsible. And I wonder about that as well. I keep wondering about that because if we hadn't have been split up, right, from you guys and we'd gone through, then my dad's 88, right? I would like to see what the police would have done with that piece of, like, Mm. negotiation because suddenly if you're, like, grabbing an 88-year-old guy Mm. that's... I mean, you can spin it this way, that fought in World War II, Mm. then then it becomes a different kind of... uh, Mm. a different kind of thing. Um... And like at the same time, I'm very glad he wasn't there because I don't know if you can trust the police. I mean, if anybody listening to this who thinks, oh, they're being really hard on the police. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mm. Police are people too. And, 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 and I mean, my, my view is that some of those people who like let you try on the, the flak jacket in a different context could have been firing yeah, and watering. Yeah, I don't like to polarise the police either, to be honest with you. And I feel quite uncomfortable because it is done a lot in left-wing circles. Sure. And I think it's a bit, it's frustrating because the police aren't, you know, they're not really what we're fighting against, really. It's just they're, they're this thing that's put in to kind of yeah. control our attempts. But actually, you know, they're just people being told to do something and they're just, you know, they, yeah. at the end of the day, they... 
you know, need to live and they're, they've got a job and they, they live under the fear of getting fired, like a lot of people do. And, yeah. and so I understand. Often. But at the moment, the way we're polarised, like the, way, the things that they're told to do are things like fire water cannons at yeah. protesters, use tasers, yeah. like... I uh, just wish people would, kettle bit, people would question more. And, right. Yeah. And, and the, but, but what I was going to say is if people yeah. think we're being harsh on the police, one thing they should realise is that the, what Kathleen was talking about of the police telling them one thing and doing another has is documented there is video evidence mm. of that it, the police were filmed lying mm-hmm. to you guys mm-hmm. it, it's documented very well documented very well documented yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and and so but it's easy for people to assume that oh yeah it's just lefties being mm. ex- they, oh they're being extreme like mm-hmm. the police are actually all right they are they're people but mm. they did do that mm-hmm. so well, that's interesting. It's interesting to like, yeah. It was in your pre-questions that I I talked about this because you said like, because because your your podcast is there is a, there are elements of your podcast that are designed to be about politics, which I I like, you know, rub my hands with glee about in that I like talking about politics. So it was great. There was a lot of pre-questions that you sent me. See, this is my way of like trying a way of of of, of shoehorning from into podcasting from where we were <laughs> but, nice. but like uh like there were a lot of like and you asked a lot of questions there's a lot of like research that you did with me you sent me lots of questions you found out lots of information about me the nature of your show is that I have to select six songs that already tells you something about me and I have to answer things about the future it's, should I say a little bit about the show yeah, just to kind of you should you should taste. give them an okay idea. so I think the reason I decided to start off this podcast series was because I felt that the media wasn't very representative of, or necessarily very relevant to the experience of your average person in Britain, Mm -hmm. Um, whatever that might be, it's a (laughs) gross average. Um, And so I've been doing a lot of community work for the last, basically since I graduated for the last five years. Um, within London, Scotland, mostly in London. And I've come across so many interesting and inspiring and just really valuable people and projects that just aren't really acknowledged in the mainstream. And I just find that, I just find that really incredibly frustrating. Um, and I think that I also spent a lot of time as a community organiser in South London going out and asking people on the streets and in their homes um, what, how they felt about the world and the community. And I realised the impact that the media was having on, on their perceptions. Um, and often what would be the case is people would, their, their experience of people around them, like their neighbours or their friends, was generally very positive and they you know, restored their faith in human nature and everything. But then what they read about was very negative and was this kind of like dichotomy between like... Right. Um, people's experience and then people's perception of what's out there. Right. Um, and so I just became really, like, I, f- I feel now very strongly about addressing that and by helping to share people's real stories mm. with everyone else and, and also to really try and build empathy between very different people. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there are... And I, I, I do it too. I, you know, I do judge people that... Um, I haven't met or I, I find it difficult to relate to um, but I want to question that so I want to you know for example I've got friends who who you know are very active uh, you know very active politically and and you know maybe have quite strong judgments about the police but I 
I am always thinking, oh, I'd, I'd like to understand where the police are coming from. So I basically ch- want to kind of interview as as diverse right. a group of people as possible. Well, I mean, you know, interview on, an activist, interview a policewoman or a policeman, interview you know a banker, interview a homeless person, like, and just right. try and create um, a space to really help understand each other a whole lot better. Because I think that in order for us to move forward but that's we just need to understand each other better well no well that's what spoke to me about your project because it's basically the same kind of goal the same kind of overarching sort of theory that i've got with what i'm doing in this show is that that yeah like as i said on your show empathy is the thing i think will is our only hope if we've got one is that i mean and so sorry just to to finish up um, on that theme um, so I was inspired by Desert Island Discs right. because it's one of my favourite programmes. I just love the format of it. I think that bringing in music to the conversation adds, like, it brings emotions into what could otherwise be kind of quite a factual and, like, right. story. Yeah. Um, and I think emotions are often neglected in our in the way we tell stories and, and form opinions. So I really we, like that aspect. The way we form judgments, maybe. Yeah. Like, we always judge people based on, like, the idea that they're, like, a factual piece of information. What 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 are their, like, material existence rather than what is their emotional existence? We mm. don't think about that. Yeah. I, within education as well. I don't yeah. think our emotions are very much neglected. So I, I was, I'm very happy to bring music into a podcast. And then I, I, I find the format of it quite interesting in the the music can trigger memories that kind of help to build up a picture of someone's life and experience and why they're doing what they're doing. And I think that's, that's those stories we don't get enough of, like yeah. those like kind of like microbiographical um, stories, which are actually incredibly helpful to listen to. And I, I think I find a lot of solace in listening to Death Island Discs over the years, actually. Right. Yeah. Because when I, when I left, school and and pro university as well I did feel like I needed to have this career like find out what it was that was you know my calling and 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 kind of get my teeth into it and then I think actually through like through my life experience and also through listening to Desert Island Distance I realized that actually you know it's not as simple as that and and that it's important to experiment and just try out different things Mm. and 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 so I kind of see the podcast as like helpful for people who are like maybe thinking about their careers and like and maybe to help inspire people to maybe make a <laughs> change if they're not happy where they right. are. And I like the fact that most people, a lot of people who listen to podcasts are computers. So I thought, not computers, computers. Com- well, <laughs> computers. Not much difference in terms. Yeah. So it's a good time so, to be thinking about changing. Yeah. Your life. Yeah. Um, no, so. but you, but you were like me, and in the. Like, you took the kind of idea, like, of Desert Island Discs as your starting point, but you sort of went, well, the thing is about Desert Island Discs, it's only famous people that go on there. Yeah. And that's kind of a similar way that I've gone with getting better acquainted. And I looked at WTF with Mark Maron and thought, this is a great way to have really, these real conversations. But what if it wasn't comedians and musicians? Mm. What if it was everyday people? Mm. I mean, although... As my show goes on, it becomes a lot of those people are comedians and musicians, but that's just uh, uh, the way that well, the, the cookie crumbles. But yeah, but the uh, basic principle of taking people who are not famous mm. is, a, is the mm-hmm. is the kind of, but with this format that is designed mm. for famous people, and it's a similar thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I 
Um, and it's not just like the celebrity aspect of it as well. It's more like the um, the, the types of jobs people do as well. Right. So for example, I made a I made a pie chart the other day. I haven't made a pie chart since I was probably about fourteen years old. But I made a pie chart of the different careers that um, are depicted within Desert and Disc over the three thousand hour like episodes. And so like something like I think fifty percent of them um, of people that have been interviewed work in acting or film and media or you know that kind of tangent which actually if you and I want to make another pie chart about what people in Britain do as their work and then yeah. kind of like try and interview um, people who do the more common jobs right I haven't made that pie chart yet but um, I intend to no I've, so, I mean I'm similar I'm very pleased when I get like like a lot of my friends through just who they are do creative stuff but at least the majority of them have day jobs they have mm. everyday jobs mm-hmm. um so they they do jobs but i mean like i've had conversations with like my friend who's a builder mm. you know from school and and, and various different like, i want to get more more conversations with people who just have you mm. know jobs and the not just day aren't... jobs night jobs that's, right. not, that's something that i feel quite strongly that's about like i when after university i did do some uh, i worked in mental health for a while and i did some night shifts for about six months Right. And it was so awful to be honest with you. Just working when everyone else is sleeping, right. and then sleeping when everyone else is working, and I, it just tips your whole world inside out and upside down. And and it, I, there are there's an army of night workers out there that are just not really seen, not really heard, and and just are really acknowledged. I just I yeah I feel yeah. very strongly about connecting with them. And, and yeah, just kind of like sharing what that's like and hopefully... Well, you've got a very wide scope for it. I, I like that <laughs> yeah. about it. Like before, like before we were, when we were off, Mike, uh, when, you, when you just come in, we were talking about this sort of stuff and you were saying that you want to interview the 1%. You know, but you also want to interview the uh, the night workers. You know, they're very different worlds that those people are going to live in. And that's, I mean, that's something I really, I respond to because that's what I'm looking to do with this show to a certain extent mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. so like why, why podcast like i guess like so you desert island this is a radio show uh-huh why why i mean but so i guess podcasting comes naturally from that if you if you were interested in radio you discovered podcasting i mean when did that happen how did that happen discovering podcasting I think it started actually through Desert Island Disc because I was downloading stuff from the archives. Ah, okay. Um, so there's like 3,000 episodes available, I think, um, in the archives. And and then, oh, I was recommended This American Life by a friend and then that led to Radio Lab, and then one thing led to another and, yeah, the moth, like just kind mm. of spirals, doesn't it? Yeah, um, once you open the box of delights, yeah. there's a lot of tasty uh, sweets in there, yeah. Uh, but I think in terms of, like, uh, so I like listening to them, but why why choose to make one? Well, there's, you can make a podcast by yourself, which yeah. is more difficult to do if you want to make a video or something, you know, you've got, you if you want, like, different camera angles, whatever, you need to have, like, a bit of a team. And I like that element of, like, freedom with it, I think. And also, I like the fact that it's it's focusing on sound because I think we live in a very visual world. You know, we are exposed to so many advertisements. There's like there's a whole emphasis on how you look, um, and and so I think it's nice to kind of actually acknowledge like the oral aspect of our 
our, ourselves and our connection with stories through sound and um, and I actually much prefer listening to something than watching something because for me um, there's more imagination involved basically right yeah um, and and so I like that side of it I think and I think also with the aim of the podcast helping to build understanding between different people it helps if you, you can't, can't see, see them. them. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think um, it's it's easier to judge if you can see something for some reason. <laughs> no, I agree with you entirely. Yeah, no, that, that's that's true. I mean, and I think something about podcasting as well, once you get to the ones that aren't radio shows that are also uh, released on, as a podcast, once you get to the ones that are made by someone in their bedroom or in their front room... Mm-hmm. Uh, it does. It's a bit like punk music. It's like, oh fuck, anyone can do this. Like, it makes you want to do it. You, you know, you, you you listen to somebody else doing it. You're like, I could do that. That it, that could be done. I mean, I'm all for like everybody starting their own podcast. Because like, yeah. there's so many yeah. interesting conversations. I know that everybody couldn't listen to everybody, right? But I think the but act of so doing what? it is also yeah. very right. helpful. And I think one of the things I like about the format of Citizen Discs is that I think that. Um, the interviewer and the person getting interviewed, the citizen, I feel like both people get something from it. Right. Whereas I feel like a lot of interview formats, um, it almost feels like just information pillaging, you know? Right. But I think that um, by providing people the space to, like, you know, reflect on their own life through music, that people learn a lot from that. Yeah, um, no, and, and cathartically through sharing some things right. that I, perhaps I, they I wouldn't have shared with other people. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that appeals to me about the format of it. What was the question? I just don't know. Remember. I don't really do questions. I just <laughs> okay. sort of like say things at people and then I get a response. Sometimes there's a question mark in there, but sometimes I just, I don't know. Some of my questions leave a lot to be desired. Or... Oh, I've just remembered now. Go on. Sorry. Um, this is good... uh, You know, we're talking about um, how easy it is to make a podcast and us enjoying the idea of other people being inspired to make ones themselves and yeah I'd love it basically if people felt inspired to like create their own citizen discs or something else by just you know interviewing their mum or I think especially people that perhaps you don't understand very well and maybe you had an argument with your brother or something you're like right let's uh, one way to address it could be to just like interview each other by no I agree because the thing is you're doing it in a public forum Mm -hmm. that means that you are better behaved more reflective it's more peaceful like i've had conversations with my mum who i have a complicated relationship with but on the podcast it's been very easy to to get to kind of complicated and complex places i've I've had conversations with her that have been valuable that have not been on mic don't get me wrong but the act of of sort of laying it out for some other people um gives you a distance from it Mm -hmm. uh, which is really useful yeah. I think yeah 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 and in every podcast I've recorded I have learned so much about the people that I've interviewed mm. and especially people that I've known well it's amazing what can come up in like mm. an hour's conversation yeah, right. like, oh my goodness how did I not know this about you I've well, known it's you for 10 years or whatever yeah but I think that's it, it, it it's, it's even more likely to happen if you know them well because the mm. thing is 
you do know so much already that in order for them to like go go further with you to connect further with you they have to go for the the things that are extra Mm -hmm. that you don't know about Mm -hmm. and that's the stuff that we all want to know you know the Mm -hmm. stuff that that we haven't talked about before it's much because how many conversations like I don't know I have a lot of conversations with people that are the same conversation again and again and again and again when every time I see them it's great to like be able to have a conversation with someone which is about stuff you don't changes know. the framework right. of the conversation yeah. yeah yeah no I mean getting better acquainted has been great for that in terms of changing the framework of friendships like changing mm. the way that I interact with people some of the conversations in, in getting better acquainted have definitely led to that so yeah I mean as a person embarking upon co- podcasting I mean like you've you've got a recording device <laughs> Yeah, at the moment, I'm very much um, embarking in the very beginning of this journey. I've, I've got a dictaphone. Um, it's not a very fancy one. It's like a Philips one that I bought about a year ago, actually, whilst I was doing community organising work. Right. I might upgrade at some stage, but that's all I've got at the moment. I've got, I've got a free version of Adobe right. <laughs> um, edition software that I'm using to edit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there Try is Audacity out there, which people can use if you want to use an open source That's version right. I use I use a free version of use Adobe Audacity well. uh, or no, I, I use a free version of Adobe yeah. ah okay cool yeah it's, it's a pretty good program um, and at the moment um, yeah I feel like I have a lot to learn really and I'm interested in connecting with other podcasters I'm, I'm actually in the process of organising a podcast meetup in London for anyone that's either it like I've already made stuff or is interested in making stuff um, because um yeah, I feel like there, there is a network out there, but not very well connected. <laughs> Mostly through yeah, it's funny, isn't it? SoundCloud or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's it's. I think it's good to meet up and and speak to people face to face. I mean, and and I think that podcasting is such a new, especially in this country, it's such a new art form that it needs people to sort of the community is that's the thing it's it's still at the stage where community is enriching rather than daunting so we're not at the point yet where we're each other's competitors because really for all of us it's better if people know more about podcasts uh then if everybody knows about podcasts then we become competitors but we're not at the moment, and I, i'm not saying i approve of becoming a competitor or will ever look at it that way but but we're, we're, we're lucky that we're at a moment when we're, we're not there yet. Like, nobody can uh, look at it commercially sure in, in that way. I'm not sure if we'll necessarily become competitive, though. I, I don't know. I hope not. I don't hope not, yeah. Well, I've got a friend who has a YouTube channel, um, and so he's very involved with other YouTubers. Right, right. And that's and, a similar And it seems very world, collaborative. Yeah. And I hope that's the way it will continue. Yeah. I yeah. think it will. I mean, there's no reason why it shouldn't. I think that's a great thing about this technology we've got. I do feel like it does favor kind of collaboration yeah i mean do um, you have a smartphone a i do have a smartphone although i don't i hesitate to call it smart because i think in some ways it's not very smart but indeed but i mean th- that's another thing that you've got that you can make a anyone can make a podcast yes. on mm-hmm. uh i mean you can don't you can upload directly to soundcloud without even like editing if you want to be like really diy punk about it I mean, there's a, and but there are editing suites you can have on a on a smartphone of your choice, and there are like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it it the mic pickup is as good as mm. you know a few things I've recorded occasionally on my smartphone, but not that often. What would be really great actually is if people recorded more sounds as well in our environment, and we made like some kind of wiki of like 
signs and but yeah i right. feel like uh, some of that then people could on. use those in podcasts yeah there must be some people in fact the people are in in the dark probably would know about who those people are in fact i meant to say at the beginning i've been waiting for a way into this road for a while there's been a few opportunities there's been a few turns in the road but it never came up but this is the first time we've i've used um some microphone kind of like a split microphone that clips on uh, that was made for me by connor uh, from in the dark he made it for me during the time well no after the the live recordings that you saw uh he he wanted to to do it uh so that when i was on location i would not have as much problem with the background sound listeners can decide if it's better i quite like it i'm enjoying it but i don't know there's a hiss there's a hiss so people might not like that um I might be able to get rid of that. I don't really understand that that sort of things that well, but uh, but I wanted to give a shout out to Connor and, and say thanks. It's it's a beautiful thing, and at the hundredth episode, I was going to use it, but then uh, it didn't work. I couldn't get it to work, but it wasn't Connor's fault. It was a fault to do with my Zoom that Connor completed. And actually, it's kind of got look GBA on one side that you noticed earlier on. 100 on the uh, other, it was like a hundredth uh, present for the GBA 100, and I wanted to give him a shout out. What episode are you on now? Oh, well, in real time, like, I don't know when this will go out, so that will confuse things. But in at the moment for us, I'm I've just put out 139 uh, last week. But that's not even I don't even count the live ones. So there's been nine live ones plus to that. And then there's extras and other other ones that I don't count. It's very much a weird system. It's not very scientific. But when 100 came up, I figured I would do a celebration. I'll do another one in the 200th. Is, but like, so you're starting out and you're, you've got your basic equipment, like, and you've got the good, you've got good instincts um, and you've been interviewing people, it seems to me, for quite a while. So I've interviewed about 12 people now, yeah. I'm, I'm very good at organising interviews and interviewing people. I'm not so good at getting down to editing stuff, which is what I'm working on at the moment. Well, that's the, that is the bit that it takes the, the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've had such fun interviewing people. Um, I just started off interviewing my close friends just to kind of like try out like different kind of interviewing styles. And and in terms of like, types of people I've interviewed, I've interviewed, I interviewed this week I interviewed a farmer. So Excellent. I did some whiffing on a farm in Cornwall a couple of years ago and I found that really, a really great experience. Um, so I interviewed him. He was up in London to do Brain of Britain on Radio 4 or something. Wow. So I just I managed to catch him. Um, I interviewed a social entrepreneur this week. Um, other people I've interviewed: doctors, cleaner for Tesco's, um, a campaigner, someone who works for a think tank. But you've uh, interviewed people even before this because you were, like that's what I mean. Like I, I mean, it's it's great to hear the people that you're interviewing um, for Citizen Radio. But it's so not Citizen Radio. That's a very different thing. It has a podcast as well. <laughs> Citizen Discs, but you did interview people before this because, like, it sounds like you're in your working life, in your gap year. Uh, you know, you've had this oh, I feel, experience yes. of, of talking to people that's mm. obviously fed into this kind of thing in the end. Yeah. I think perhaps the most uh, formative interviewing experience I had was when I was a community organizer. So I was a community organizer for eighteen months in London, and basically that job involved going out and having one-to-one conversations with people in a particular format. So we got trained in this particular listening style, mm-hmm. um, which was meant to identify people's like core values and, and bring them to a point where they felt empowered to change whatever it is that they cared about, basically. Okay. Um, 
uh, I wouldn't say it's perfect, <laughs> you know, the way of interviewing someone about such things, but um, it, I had basically talked with hundreds and hundreds of people, um, all strangers pretty much, throughout London, um, and it gave me, I guess, uh, the confidence to approach people that I didn't know and have like meaningful conversations with them, um, and be really developed my ability to listen, just listen mm. without judgment, mm. I think really, and to try and create like a nurturing space for people to feel like they can just say anything and that's okay. Yeah. Um, so I find, yeah, that those 18 months very helpful in that regard. And I think I'm interested in kind of varying up the high interview people. I, I, I'm a big believer in experimenting and um, have this have these ideas of different things I could do in the interview. For example, like I want to question this whole idea of you know there being an interviewer and the mm. interviewee, yeah, and I like the idea of of kind of tipping that on its head and like maybe like having a hat, for example, where we both at the beginning of the interview like write questions and put them in the hat and then we can just like take turns and like pull questions out that's a nice and idea. then maybe i get a question that i've asked that i actually wanted to ask you or something right, then you good. yeah yeah so we kind of like swap questions or like places i guess so i have the idea of doing that or um and i also really like to crowdsource things and really want, want to like use social media to crowdsource people to interview i don't know say for example um i listen to a podcast and i'm like thinking of oh, I'd like to really be a train driver or something, or what's that like as a profession? And, and like, you could recommend that, and I could try and find a train driver to interview. Or, right. Um, I'd re- yeah, I'd really like to to, to, to think... Um, I, I'd basically like this just to be a whole experiment and continue to evolve. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And every episode to be a bit different from the last. Well, why not? So, yeah. There's, there's nobody telling us that we shouldn't because we're yeah. completely independent. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the beauties. Uh, there are disadvantages to be completely independent, but that's mm. one of the beautiful things about it. Yeah. Is that you can experiment. You can and have this like. openness in the culture about this willingness to experiment as well because I think that um, in schools, there's so much emphasis putting on having the right answer all the time and, right. and not giving space people to just like well, mess podcasting up a bit. Is like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's an evolving so, medium. It's yeah. about making mistakes and learning from them. Yeah. Actually, generally speaking, audiences are growing to become quite sympathetic to yes. the, the, the fact that we're experimenting and trying new things yeah. out. As long as you don't, you know, t- totally take the piss, then audiences will go with you on this learning journey, I think. I saw a really good website the other day, actually, of... Um, it's a website for I think Campion Bootcamp, and one of their but, but, so what Campion Bootcamp do is basically they provide like a support supportive training program for campaigners to develop their campaigning skills, um, and one of the pages in the website is entitled Mistakes, and basically they're just really transparent about mistakes they've made and like yeah. what they've learned from that, and I was like that is so that's great, good. so yeah, great, so good. it's inspired me to maybe do something similar yeah I just I think mistakes need to be like discussed and just almost celebrated (laughs) for sure I I, I kind of agree with you and you know a lot of the best pieces of art have been made through mistakes like somebody's like 
left the put the wrong button up on the mixing desk and suddenly there's a there's a brilliant thing on the on the, on the song or somebody's like accidentally bashed into the artist's hand when they're drawing you know and same like, with science as well right right like exactly. Penicillin yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. like mistakes are an important part of, mm. of, de- of of developing ideas and and stuff and that's really great um the last question that I ask people is, do you have anything to plug? Which is interesting because we've already sort of like covered some of what you might be plugging, but you can plug, you can take it any way you like, basically, what, whatever plugging means to you. Hmm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, well, I guess like I'd, I'd obviously invite people to like check out Citizen Discs when it is released. But aside from that, I'm trying to think. I guess it's like certain concepts that I'd like to plug. Like I think so. I lived in a boat for nine months, and I think that that was wonderful. And I feel like it was so um, helpful in many ways. And I kind of feel like if you're ever thinking of like trying to live in a boat and you want to do it, just go out and do it. That's <laughs> basically like yeah, uh, something I'd like to plug. And I also want to start a conversation about be the possibility of um, building more canals in Britain and having and looking at the housing problem that we have and thinking creatively about how we can address it and one of the options being yeah build more canals have more houseboats I think it's just a great lifestyle and um, also canals on light roads provide like lovely leisure routes for people as well to enjoy even if you don't live there so yeah, I guess water and boats and living there. My plug, <laughs> plugs is probably a thing to. <laughs> I quite like. like to live in a boat. I mean, it's it's definitely a a thing I've thought about a few times. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. But uh, I definitely think about it. I like um. I like that kind of thing. My favorite. I don't know if you know the Moomins at all. Do you know the Moomin books? Is that about mice? Kind mo- of look a bit like mice, I guess. Oh, I'm thinking of the clangers. I don't know. Um, there's, no. a, there's a there's some books called the Moomins. Okay. Uh, and there's a character in them called Snuffkin. Like he has a tent and a, a a bag on his back, like what you were saying before, having one bag. He has one a nap like a knapsack thing that he goes, mm-hmm. you know, and that's all he has. And his tent's in that, and he just moves around, and he comes to see them in the in the summer, but when the winter comes, he leaves because he, he he doesn't stay in the winter. Um, and that he was my favourite character. He was the one I wanted to to be like. So yeah, you've reminded me of him, <laughs> your t- with, like uh, with, with your one bag in your boat. That's good. It's really good. Yeah, nomadism is the other thing I was thinking of plugging. So I guess I kind of did that with the boating. What was that? Nomadism, where oh, they kind of yes. like yeah, having no home, just living on the edge a bit, I guess. Yeah, Excellent. and there's more people out there doing it than you perhaps think. Well, I wrote a song. One of my like, I wrote a song once about like how many keys you, uh, how many keys you amass in your life, and this idea that these pieces of metal mean something. Mm. Like they tie you down. Yeah. You know, I I I, t- I very much want to be nomadish. Yeah, it's quite odd at the moment. I don't have a key for anything really, apart from my house in Northern Ireland, which isn't very useful in London. <laughs> but <laughs> one yeah. last thing to take out the door. No, sure, absolutely, and. I mean, it's really been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you. I mean, we've really uh, done it big style today. Like, we recorded for hours uh, for your conversation uh, with me, for your show. And uh, we've, I've gone well over time for this one, most like an hour and a half. So, uh, so we've really... 
we've really delved into getting very acquainted with each other today. It's been a real pleasure, yeah. Oh, likewise. I feel I'm honoured to be on this. <laughs> well, so. it's, it, well it's, it's always an honour for me to have people on, so I, I, it's always nice when they, they feel honoured too. Um, the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. I'll do that quite happily because I actually really feel it. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye! <laughs> Bye, I'm not going to say it in a very long way. Yeah, fair enough. Bye. You can find Kathleen on Twitter at Experimentist. That's where you can probably get more of an idea of other things that she's doing. Her Twitter bio says, I like feeding ideas by experimenting with norms. Current experiments include at Edible Southwark, being nomadic and creating pop-up breweries and treasure hunts. So she's obviously got really loads of things going on. One of the things that she's got going on will be a podcast when that comes out. I will shout about it everywhere, uh, particularly because it's going to have an episode involving me, but also because I think the show she's making is an exciting and interesting one, and I'm really looking forward to hearing it. So go and follow her and watch that space and this for further information on when Citizen This comes out. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store there are lots of ways to get better acquainted